Hi, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford, joined, as always, by my trusted colleague, Weston Hodkowitz. We're coming to you here from our studios at Lambeau Field. Wes, a lot of ground to cover on today's show. A 23-20 victory over the Chargers, posted by the Green Bay Packers on Sunday at Lambeau Field. A game coming up um, right around 48 hours, I guess, from the time we're taping yeah. this, uh, this episode. Packers and Lions will 49 square off. 49 hours away. Packers and Lions will square off on Thanksgiving at uh, Ford Field, so we'll try to both review and preview um, Biggest statistic, of course, from the victory over the Chargers, Jordan Love, 322 passing yards with two touchdowns. And the Packers' first 300-yard passing game since December of 2021. And uh, first, one for, first one in Jordan Love's career, and it was great to see the offense build on four quarters of production in Pittsburgh, even though it didn't produce as many points as you would have hoped with another four quarters of production against the Chargers, even though, again, not as many points as you would have hoped. But two days, two, I'm sorry, two games in a row, the Packers offense has been a threat for four quarters and not gone into some kind of a shutdown mode like we had seen earlier in the season. 100%. That was my biggest takeaway from this one is the Green Bay Packers found a way to win in the fourth quarter. And they didn't just do it because they ended up having the offense just, you know, ouch, you know, beating out the, you know, kind of a shootout, I should say, with the L.A. Chargers. The defense stepped up, got a timely stop, got a takeaway, and then Kenny Clark's first batted pass in four years could not have come at a, at a better time for the Packers to seal that victory. But ultimately, Mike, you can talk about red zone defense. You can talk about, you know, the amount of young players that stepped up in this thing. For me, it came back to Jordan Love because I thought when the Packers needed him to be his best, he was. And, you know, there were some moments there, got a little tight, a couple third and longs at some inopportune times. Yeah. You weren't really sure which way it was going to go, but yep. Love kept his composure, threw the ball with confidence, trusted his receivers. And I'll tell you what, if you were looking for a play, a go-ahead score that was going to indicate the, the little progressions and where Green Bay was working to and what they needed to overcome, Romeo Dobbs showing extremely good not only timing with the high pointing the ball, but also pulling that down aggressively, physically, and the amount of celebration and jubilation that was shared with that team afterwards. Jordan Love played the way he needed to play, protected the football, and the Green Bay Packers won a much-needed football game. Yeah, the Packers' offense had been in that situation so many times over the last couple months. You have the ball late in the fourth quarter. You're down by one score. You need a score. Most of the time it has been needing a touchdown for various circumstances, and this time they needed a touchdown again, and uh, and they got it um, with uh, really what, to, what turned into – three big plays there was the third and 20 with the defensive pass interference that got the drive started that was a, an attempted pass to Dontavian Wicks over the middle then Love went back to Wicks again he bounces off a tackler turns a short pass into a 35 yard gain and then the 24 yarder over the top to Romeo Dobbs when Love kind of hustled up the offense and noticed that the Chargers were a little discombobulated on defense. He's like, hey, let's snap the ball and go. And and uh, Romeo was one-on-one -on, -one on the outside. He put it up there um, with a chance for the go-ahead touchdown, and the Packers got it. The other thing that I really liked, and to me, when, you, when you're looking for those little things, because we all see the big things, 
But when you're looking for those little things that show the progress of the offense and where things are now compared to a couple of months ago, I will I will point to something that was learned after the game in the post-game press conferences, and I wrote about it in my rapid reaction piece after the game that's on the website if folks want to check it out. Jordan Love offered up that in the third quarter, the touchdown pass to Christian Watson in the back corner of the end zone was not a play that was in the game plan. He said, you know, he, he sort of said, I think Coach LaFleur drew that one up on the sideline. So then... I asked Matt LaFleur when he came into the podium afterwards, I followed up on that and said, okay, so this is what Jordan said. He said, you drew the play up on the sideline. LaFleur explained even further that it was actually tight ends coach John Dunn who had come up with the idea. He and LaFleur kind of collaborated on it, um, presumably over the headset or whatever. But it was on that drive, there was a, a defensive look they had seen from the Chargers earlier in the drive. John Dunn came up with an idea, a route idea, to possibly exploit that. So they talked about it during the drive, and then when the Packers got down into the red zone, LaFleur dialed it up, called the play, and the, and Love and Watson, the route runners, everybody executed it perfectly for a 12-yard touchdown, pra- touchdown pass. The fact that they could do that in an important situation, it was not something in the game plan. It wasn't rep during the week. It was it was an improv move based on something they thought they could exploit with the defense. It gets thrown in there into a red zone situation, and it was executed perfectly. The route was there. The throw was right on target, and the Packers get a touchdown in the red zone. To me, that one play was an incredible sign of progress because – I don't think if they're trying to collaborate on the headsets and come up with something on the sideline for a red zone play for a touchdown back in September or October, yeah. that that's going to work, no that, that, it, that the Packers are going to get a score there. They got one. It was a big score at the time. It gave the Packers the lead at the time in the third quarter. And uh, I just I, I thought that hearing about that and learning about it, about that and how that went down, that really opened my eyes. Well, and everybody wants to just look at statistics and they want to look at, you know, this, that, and the other to judge, Hey, like, is Jordan love the guy? Is he going to be the the franchise quarterback? I I think that it's moments like that, that really are the the true test uh, of a, of a quarterback and, and being able to play the game at the second level. And, you know, that's one thing we've learned this year with Jordan love in attention, in addition to just his intelligence and football IQ, the fact that you know he is thinking about the game on that next level he's not just being given the play call and trying to execute it he's trying to figure out okay what can i do to manipulate the defense that's three years of growing that's three years of working with aaron Rodgers. that's three years of being in matt lafleur's system and understanding what his coach wants from him and you're able to to take chances like that and and produce and then lastly, I just want to mention this too. For these young receivers, there's a quote that Jaden Reed gave to Pete Doherty from the Press Gazette after the game, which I thought was a really huge highlight of how far this receiving core has come in the last two months. You know, guy like Reed, who's now been nominated back-to-back weeks for the NFL Rookie of the Week. Yeah. Fourth guy in franchise history, according to Elias, that has had 45 receiving yards and 45 rushing yards in a single game in franchise history with that 32-yard touchdown end-around helping boost his rushing numbers. But he said, I mean, two months later, three months into the season, there's things he's doing out there now that he doesn't think he would have been able to do the first few weeks. The way he's thinking of the game, the, the, the speed at which he plays, but then also mentally processing what's happening around him. And you're seeing that with him. You're seeing it with Dontavian Wicks. You're seeing it with Tucker Craft. Yeah. 
And, you know, depending on what happens this week with the injury report, Packers might need a whole lot more of Tucker Craft in this game against the Lions. So that's what you and I, Mike, talked about from week one. You have 18 weeks, four and a half months until the end of the season. What yep. kind of progress do you see with these young offensive playmakers? I think you're seeing it. Yeah, I I would agree with you. And I want to get to what's going on with the injuries and whatnot heading into Detroit. We'll get to that in a minute. I just want to follow up with regard to the defense in this game against the Chargers. Um, bottom line is the defense caught a few breaks here because uh, the Chargers dropped some passes that would have been uh, significant plays. Donald Parham drops the, uh, the fourth down uh, play on the Chargers opening possession, so that drive gets killed. Keenan Allen, who we talked about last week, I wrote about him last week, he's in the 10,000-yard club. He dropped two passes near the goal line that both would have been at a minimum first and goal, if not touchdowns. And then at the end of the game, Quentin Johnston drops a, a I mean, an absolute seed of a throw by Justin Herbert. I mean, my goodness, puts it right on the money along the Packers sideline there, and Quentin Johnston drops it. Would have put the Chargers at a minimum in game-tying field goal range um, in the final you know, 30 seconds of the ball game. If not, possibly if, he, if he's able to catch it and stay in bounds, maybe he even scores on it. So the Packers caught some breaks there, and I'm, I, I don't want to minimize those because this game definitely could have gone the other way. But I'll say this as well, going up against Justin Herbert, who came as advertised, the first time either one of us got to see him live and in person, and he was impressive, and his arm is really something. But at this stage of the season, the plan, <laughs> the plan was the Packers' top four cornerbacks were going to be J.R. Alexander, Rasul Douglas, Keyshawn Nixon, Eric Stokes, and your top two safeties would be Darnell Savage and Rudy Ford. So that's your dime defense with six defensive backs. One of those guys, only one, was on the field on Sunday against Justin Herbert. The Packers needed Carrington Valentine. They needed Corey Ballantine. They needed Anthony Johnson Jr., the rookie safety. They needed Jonathan Owens at safety. Um, Nixon was out there, and he's gotten it out on a bad yeah. ankle because he got hurt early in the game. Um, so as much as as much as the uh, the Chargers dropped passes certainly had a big impact on this game. Um, I thought a a uh, essentially a, a makeshift secondary of sorts for the Packers based on what the plans were going going along this season. Um, I thought uh, they didn't they didn't make things easy for Herbert. I guess no. he had to make some darn good throws, and he did. It's just that uh, his receivers kind of let him down. Yeah, and uh, Benny Sapp, the third, who was promoted from the practice squad, was the dime cornerback. That's the right. That's right. And it just, again, shows you just how, how down to the felt the, the Packers were <laughs> with some of these secondary uh, situations. But a couple things to touch on with this game. First and foremost, just making a quick comment about the Chargers. I don't want to hear any more bull poo not going to say bull crap, although I just did. Bull poo <laughs> about Justin Herbert and his quarterback record and all these things, win and loss record. That guy can play. That, that dude, the, I'm telling you. If you're, I mean, I know the Chargers have a lot this, of but. Chargers have a lot of stuff to figure out. Like that's that's obvious. But man, if you if you are a Chargers fan, you are feeling darn good about the guy who is taking it's, snaps for your offense. It's the rare exception. You don't see this much in the NFL anymore, where the team has the quarterback situation figured out. 
and they just don't have enough around him. Yeah, they can't, they can't they can't get the rest. Some of, of that's together. injuries. The, the guy ends up the leading rusher in the game yeah. for both teams yeah. because of, because of his it was scramble. Funny, some people were uh, ripping about that on inbox. Like, how did they let Justin Herbert run from us? Justin Herbert can run. Yeah, he's I'll always say, been able to run. Did anybody watch the Rose Bowl yeah. against Wisconsin? I mean, the guy the guy won the game with his legs, not his arm. I mean, he, he's he's that dangerous. He has a million dollar arm, and he has Austin Eckler in the backfield. He doesn't have to run very often, but <laughs> they took advantage. Of this game yeah uh keenan allen had one of the most quiet 100 yard 116 yard 100 catch excuse me 10 catches 10 catch. 116 yeah. yards in a touchdown games you're ever going to see uh, but i thought you made a really good point at the end of your 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 statement there the packers didn't make it easy for them they had to make the most of the opportunities that they were given and there weren't a lot of breakdowns that just led to Guys being able to just be wide open. Yeah. Fortunately, when Parham was, he dropped it. Yeah. But the one, I mean, the one, the one really big, what turned out to be the big negative play for the defense was the 51 yard touchdown to the backup tight end, Smart, where he broke free and then Jonathan Owens missed the tackle. And, uh, um, and, you know, that ends up rupturing into a 50 yard touchdown. And, you know, you kind of sigh and go, oh, you know, that, sh- that shouldn't have happened. But, uh, um, but, you know, I give I give the guys I give the guys in the Packers secondary credit for battling. I mean, yeah, there there were a couple of flags. You know, Keyshawn got flagged for a, you know on a third down, but you know he's trying to cover Keenan Allen, you know, in the slot and and trying to blanket him as best he can. Close call, tough call, gives them a free first down. You know, but uh, but you just you line up and keep fighting and keep playing, and that's what these guys did. And uh, and as it turned out, fortunately, Johnson dropped the. Uh, Johnston dropped the deep ball at the end. He was a guy who really hadn't done much at all. And then he's got, he ends up being the guy with the chance to make the big play at the end of the game and he doesn't make it. And that really is the product there of being down Mike Williams and Josh Palmer and and kind of having to work down your depth chart a little bit. But, but let's get back to what ultimately is the reason why the Packers won this game. It came down to mistakes and Kenny Clark said this in the locker room afterwards when I was talking with him and he was part of our huddle. The Packers knew going into this thing, this was going to be incumbent on them to win the turnover battle. This was not going to be a team that you could play and have take, not get takeaways and lose the turnover margin and expect to win. It just doesn't happen. If you look at what they've done this season, the Chargers are going to make life very difficult on you. So what happens? Austin Eckler fumbles, trips, fumbles. And as Kenny was explaining afterwards, the thing is something they preach all the time. They rep it every single week. When ball carriers are trying to get back to their feet, if you ever wanted to look for the moment in which the ball security is the last thing on their mind, yeah. it's when they're trying to stumble back to their feet. That's exactly what happened with Eckler on that play. Kenny punches the ball out. Rashawn Gary gets the sack that is kind of generated by Kenny Clark's pressure. Yes. And then when the game was on the line late, Packers had a little bit of a mental lapse there. Rashawn gets busted there for the offsides on fourth and six, makes it a fourth and two, although at that point in the game they weren't going to run anyway, so it didn't matter. But Kenny puts his hand up, and he gets the batted ball. That fourth quarter, with what the defense did, it allowed them to overcome – you know, a big a big run from Austin Eckler, a big scramble or two from Herbert, Keenan Allen's production, Smart's touchdown. 
because they came back and they won that turnover margin in the end. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I'll take care of some sponsor business here, Wes, and then we will move on to the Lions. Sirius XM NFL Radio delivers hard-hitting analysis and up-to-the-minute NFL news that true football fanatics need 24-7, 365. And at Cousin Subs, we have something for everyone, like our Wisconsin cheese curds, mac and cheese, golden fries, and creamy shakes, all paired with your favorite sub or sub in a bowl, Cousin Subs, 50 years of better. All right, the Detroit Lions, as they do traditionally, hosting the early Thanksgiving game, the first of the Thanksgiving triple header. The Packers are the visitors this year. And I tell you what, Wes, and I, this is you know what I said when we did our three things video for this week, which this week's three things video is on Monday because instead of in the middle of the week because the game is on Thursday, we're all adjusting. But... All you have to do to see how tough the Lions are to beat is look at these last two games. Yeah. They gave up 38 points to the L.A. Chargers. Justin Herbert directed five consecutive touchdown drives, and yet the Lions still wouldn't be beat. Then they come home against the Chicago Bears Jared Goff throws three interceptions. The Bears get four takeaways in all, end up plus three in the turnover margin, and the Bears have a 12-point lead with four minutes to go in Detroit against the division leaders, and yet the Lions would not be beat. This is a tough bunch, um, and uh, I'm telling you, the I expect the atmosphere at Ford Field on Thursday. There, I, I can't even think of the last time that the Lions and their fans would be looking this much forward to hosting a game on Thanksgiving as to what's going on this year. The atmosphere in that place is going to be is going to be off the charts. So obviously, I just watched a few of the highlights from that Bears game. I didn't go back and watch it or anything. And we obviously were doing business of our own on Sunday. But you know what I, I took away as you were watching the final couple minutes of that game? What was the first principle that Dan Campbell wanted to ingrain and instill in that football team? It was toughness. Yeah. And it was, it was the response to adversity. And this was as good of an example as you're going to find. I'm not worried about Jared Goff. Jared Goff, this is going to happen. He's had three interception games before in his career. He's going to have – shoot, he started the game against Green Bay with an interception. Right, right. To Rudy Ford. But you don't worry about how he's going to bounce back. But to see the way Jameer Gibbs, that young defense, um, Aiden Hutchinson, they have a lot of mental toughness. And one of the things that I think Detroit had been zapped of for many years was confidence, talent, and toughness. And this is not going to be a cakewalk by any means. But I will say this. I, I think they're going to see a much different Packers team this second time around than they did the first time. I agree. I, I would be surprised. You never can say never, but I'd be surprised if Green Bay fell into another 17-0 hole or something like that that they're trying to dig out of. But for the Lions against that opponent to be able to rally, continue their winning streak against the NFC North while continuing this remarkable losing streak that the Bears are on, I, I just thought they showed a lot of grit. And yeah. uh, th those are the type of things that for many years when the Lions were the pushovers, that, that was not present. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting what's going on in Detroit because the, while the fan base 
while the fan base there is fired up about everything that's going on, and rightly so, there's also there's also the lingering impatience in that fan base because Jared Goff was getting booed. Yeah. I mean, your team is seven and two, and your quarterback's having a rough day, and he's you know he's thrown the three interceptions. A seven and two team in first place, the, the their their guy was getting booed by the home fans because that impatience, that you know that 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 worry that you know is there is this still maybe somehow the same old Lions? That's that's still there. Yep. And 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 it came out it came out against the Bears when the Lions had their backs against the wall and uh, and the fans were really nervous about that game. But to you Detroit's know what, credit, you know what I liked about uh, what I likened it to though, it's when you've had continuous car trouble and the check engine light comes on again yeah you're immediately it, it, you may be a little low on like antifreeze you're thinking the whole engine's dying <laughs> yeah, i mean right. that, seriously though the lions this is the first time mike since like the early 60s the, the lions are eight and two yeah first the first time since the fords have owned the team and they have owned the team for roughly 60 years and do you know what happened in 1962 they missed the freaking playoffs <laughs> that year when they started eight and two now, mind you, they, there weren't as many playoff spots. They still won 11 games, but they didn't make the playoffs. This fan base has been beaten into the ground <laughs> over and over and over again. I'm usually not one for booing your team ever, but I like that you use the word patience because they have been patient. But, boy, I'll tell you what now, man. They want to eat. Yeah. Yeah, well, I want to get your thoughts on what you think the Packers' keys to victory are in this game. For me, for me, I look at... I look at three things that are at the top of my there's there's a long list that the Packers need to execute to pull off in order to get this victory but the three at the top of my list number one is to stop the run number two is to somehow contain Aiden Hutchinson and the reason those are the top the two things at the top of my list is because those are the two things I believe were the biggest reason the, the, the two biggest things the Packers couldn't do the first time they faced the Lions on yep. that Thursday night game back in September. Um, the Lions had that ended up with the 200-plus yards rushing, and Aiden Hutchinson just, just set the tone defensively, and allowing that Lions defensive front to do whatever it wanted to do because the Packers didn't have an answer for Hutchinson. So those are the two things at the top of my list. And then the other thing was in reference to something I just mentioned – Packers are going to have to handle the environment in this game because yep. Packers have gone on the road, you know, to Atlanta and to Vegas and to Denver, and there have been you know, there's been a decent contingent of Packers fans. It's you know hasn't really been a quote unquote true road game anywhere that the Packers have been this year. Quite frankly, even even Week One, we've certainly seen games at Soldier Field with more Packers fans than there were in Week One, but this one. Thanksgiving in Detroit with the Lions in first place playing the Packers. I don't think there's going to be a lot of Green Bay fans there and this is going to this is going to be an environment where the the crowd is going to have an influence on things and the Packers are going to have to handle you know the the momentum swings and and what's going to happen out there yeah. because uh um because this is going to be a true road game for well, Green Bay. And I don't think Lions fans are as fair weather as the Bears in that. That Bears atmosphere in the first quarter was fantastic. Yeah. One. It was very difficult. Unfortunately, their team got off to a really slow start, and everybody bailed. They were all heading for the, the, the train after, like, the halftime. Yeah, they wanted to grab their hot dog and go home. And go home. I, I don't think that's going to happen with the Lions. But 
that being said, I think there's a lot Green Bay can learn from the way they started that game against the Bears. And they really need to take that same blueprint that the Lions used against them at Lambeau Field and try to turn it back against them. The Bears got three interceptions of Jared Goff. They got three freaking points out of it. Yeah. They punted twice. No, they punted once and then fumbled the next one. Then they finally got a, a Santos field goal. They got a fumble recovery off of a, I believe, a kickoff return or a punt return yeah. as well. There was a turnover on special teams. Four takeaways in all by the Bears. They were plus three in the game, and they still couldn't figure out a way to win it. Because they didn't get the points. Yeah. The Packers have to get the points. Even in that game against the Lions, weren't able to get all the points from that turnover with, with Rudy. I, I, I just look at this game in terms of what you said doing everything, basically taking all the lessons you learned in that first game against yes. the Lions and implementing them. You have to stop the run. The Packers cannot give up 200 rushing yards in this game, especially with the way that Jameer Gibbs is running now. That first game, it was all David Yeah, Montgomery. it was all Montgomery, yeah. You think David Montgomery's getting 32 carries in this game? Nah, nah. <laughs> I mean, like, Jameer Gibbs is going to give you fits too. Sam Laporta, Amon Ross St. Brown has been a constant thorn in the Packers' side. We'll see what happens here with Jair. If he potentially could be back for this one, that would be an amazing, amazing addition for this team. But I'll tell you what, Mike, when you're this beat up and you're playing on a short week, it was one of my points I made in inbox. Sometimes you just got to run the football, just roll the football out there and see what happens. Packers will have a plan. It'll be a good plan. But there's not a lot of rhyme or reason to these Thursday games, especially no. Thursday morning game. Yeah. So no, you got to, you just, you, you're right. Protect the football. You're right. You got to, you got to just show up and play. And, with regard to the Packers' injury situation, they're hoping, you know, maybe you can get Jair Alexander back. He ended up missing uh, the Chargers game. You saw two running backs go down. Aaron Jones, Emmanuel Wilson both go down with injuries against the Chargers. The good news is it sounds like at least the preliminary thoughts were that Aaron Jones did not suffer a significant injury. Um, but I certainly don't expect to see him suiting up on Thursday no. in Detroit after uh, after what happened with his knee. Emmanuel Wilson, we haven't at this point we haven't really heard many updates yet, but he injured his shoulder, so the Packers down to just AJ Dillon, and now have uh, they've signed Patrick Taylor. They brought him back uh, for running back depth, and also brought back James Robinson on the practice squad, who had spent some time on the practice squad earlier this season. So the Packers trying to to fortify the running back situation due to the injuries. But other stuff cropped up in the Chargers game, too. Dontavian Wicks being evaluated for a concussion. Um, I saw Luke Musgrave popped up on the injury Abdomen. report. Abdomen. Um, it, it, the, uh, the, the Packers' list of injuries here is, is long, and there's, you know, quite frankly, it, it will in a lot of ways probably be right up until 90 minutes before kickoff when that inactive list gets turned in that uh, we'll find out exactly who's going to be available for Green Bay because you're not making those decisions on a Tuesday no. after you played on Sunday. You're going to give these guys you know, up until you know, as long as you can to say, hey, can you suit up or not? And, uh, and then the Packers are going to roll with what they've got. I will be very curious to see what that elevation list looks like on Wednesday, though. Now, if you elevate a guy, it doesn't mean you have to play him. You can still have him inactive. Yeah. Still uses their elevation, but you can have him inactive. Yeah. I'll be curious to see how many of those they use. You know, I wonder a guy like James Robinson, they have another back on the, the practice squad, but one of the lines that really stood out to me from what Ben Sermon said before Robinson was released the first time, the Packers running back coach, Ben Sermons, was that he felt confident enough that if Robinson had to play in a game, he was where he needed to be to play. The guy's been here, done that, 1,000-yard rusher in the National Football League. 
if Jones and Emmanuel Wilson aren't there, they're going to need a third running back, especially considering Josiah DeGuara, who Matt LaFleur pointed this out to Larry McCarron after the game. I didn't even think about this. When the Packers, everybody's thinking, oh, they're down to one running back when they lost Jones and Wilson. Well, Josiah DeGuar is their other, like, H-back, like, personal protector if they would have needed another guy to be right. in the backfield and shotgun with Jordan Love on third down. Right. They were really getting down that depth chart. Yeah. So th- th- it's that sort of thing that, you know, Green Bay's probably going to need a third running back in this game as well. All that being said, one of the things that this team has done really well so far this season is guys stepping up in those moments. The only reason the Packers are where they are right now and the fact they have hope going into this game against the Lions is the Anthony Johnsons, the Carrington Valentines, the Jonathan Ford or Jonathan Owens, excuse me. Guys that were either starters in the league before or are just your typical seventh round rookies that are just looking for an opportunity. Those guys have been up for the challenge. Yeah, on the defensive side too, the Packers get Devondre Campbell back. Um, he has a pretty good game, I thought, yeah. uh, overall against the run, uh, in, you know, versus the Chargers. But then he gets a, a neck stinger and goes out, and now he's on the injury report. No idea exactly where where that stands. If uh, if he's going to be um, available to play on a short week on Thursday, or if it's going to be Isaiah McDuffie again next to Quay Walker. The other thing too, I'll point out. I didn't notice this until I until I watched the film and I did my what you might have missed with all the film clips on uh, Kenny Clark this yeah. week from the Chargers game. So, of course, the last play is the fourth and one batted pass by Clark. Isaiah McDuffie was all over the tight end like Herbert was going to try to squeeze that one in there. I don't know if that ball would have gotten in there or not or if Herbert maybe was just going to be looking for, a, you know, for a defensive pass interference or holding or something. McDuffie McDuffie had the coverage on that fourth and one. And uh, and even if Clark doesn't doesn't bat that pass, I think there's a good chance that that pass is incomplete. So again, another another young guy who's filled in for Green Bay, and he might have to fill in again on Thursday. We talk so much about how you need cornerbacks in this league because of the nickel and the dime. My goodness, you need inside linebackers too. Yeah, you got to have those guys that can cover tight ends. And with Sam Laporta on deck, the Packers are gonna Packers are gonna have to have a plan for a first round draft pick at tight end who's having as good a rookie season as any tight end has had that we've seen in a long time hey let's have a little bit of good news darnell savage designated to return off injured reserve i don't know if the green bay packers would feel comfortable playing him without any practice whatsoever yeah for the last month but but the the fact that you do have that coming back not only does that give you another option the secondary you remember when he first got injured jonathan owens was the one playing like dime cornerback he's also one of the options is the slot corner too so yeah trying to find some options there all right well with that we will call it a wrap on this edition of packers unscripted be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team and everything from thursday's game against the lions at ford field we'll have it all for you on packers.com for wes i am mike thank you for tuning in everybody happy thanksgiving and we will see you next time